The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, and if you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. Today's buzz, millennials. I'll just put it out there, millennials. Let me tell you about them. Millennials, also known as Gen Y, are the post-Gen X demographic. When were they born? Early 80s to early 2000s. What do we say about them? They're diverse. They're well-educated. They're expressive. And guess what? They're young, but they've already made a unique mark on commerce, on the work environment, on social media. We talked about them on a recent Coffee Break with Game Changers show presented by SAP. And I got some of this information from our guest at the time. We're talking about millennials in fashion. Tom Julian from the Doniger Group had some good information. So today's topic is how do you lead these millennials in the workplace? There are challenges. I have three experts and one who was supposed to be here who for a medical issue is not and we'll be quoting him as well so let me start this off first we're going to meet rick thompson from rising medical solutions he has a wonderful observation (laughs) rick and i had fun with this one he says they're immature lazy entitled self-centered and shallow what are these descriptions of rick's generation the baby boomers when they were entering the workforce in large numbers during the 1970s rick i'm a boomer too we'll talk a lot in just a few minutes. Thanks for that great observation of generations entering the workforce. Hi, we'll talk to you in just a second. Thanks, Rick, so much. Joining us also is the one and only Sean Price, and you'll find out why I say that in a minute from Success Factors in SAP Company. He has a very interesting quote. He says, don't underestimate your impact. Don't overestimate da, 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 your self-importance. Very important words of wisdom from Sean Price. Not joining us today, but also preparing for the show is Al Ginny, who's a professor and author. And he said, previous generations were fine working in cubicles, having a strict dress code. Oh, I remember the days. And towing the company lines. But... Millennials want fun workplaces. They want to be comfortable. They won't settle for, this is the way things were always done. Leaders must be open to this new approach. So I'm including Al in the show because he had some great observations. And Al, we hope your surgery went very well. Rounding out the panel today is a return guest to the show. Her name is Tracy Arnish from SAP. She's calling from Germany. We'll hear from her in a minute. She had a wonderful quote from John Wooden, the legendary UCLA basketball coach. People want to believe you're sincerely interested in them as persons, 
not just for what they can do for you. This will bring productive results. And Tracy will tell us why she picked this quote from Wooden, who is very, very well quoted and very welcome to be quoted on this show. So join us for the next hour for Leading the Millennial Generation, Myth versus Fact. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is HR Trends with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. Today is Tuesday, November 19th. Where has the year gone? We are live, but we'll be recorded for posterity. So if you know someone who'd be interested in the show, go to Voice America Business Channel and look for the coffee cup logo and look for HR Trends. Now it's time to meet our panel. First up, you already heard his voice. Rick Thompson is VP of Talent Management at Rising Medical Solutions, one of Chicago's fastest-growing private companies. More to the point, Rick is the father of two millennials, and guess what? He leads a predominantly millennial team at Rising Medical Solutions in creating a unique strengths-based corporate culture. Rick is passionate about employee development. Previously, he worked in leadership development at United Airlines and spent 15 years in editorial management and educational public. He also was a certified personal trainer with the National Academy of Sports Medicine. We've never had a sports medicine trainer on the show. Rick Thompson, welcome to HR Trends. How are you today? Hello again, Bonnie. I'm doing well. I'm calling you from Chicago. Wonderful. How's the weather in Chicago? I hope bright and sunny. Yes? A lot better than it was two days ago at this time, I'll tell you that. That's when they were evacuating Soldier Field. Oh, my goodness. So things have settled down? Quite a bit. Good. Glad to hear it. Glad you're... Glad you're safe and sound. It's beautiful here in New York today. Amazing. We had a very windy night. Woke me up at 3.30 with the wind and the trees, but now we're all calmed down, and here we are. Thanks for joining us, Rick. And let's Pleasure see. Sean, thank you. And Sean Price is president of Success Factors, SAP Cloud. Sean is responsible for end-to-end HCM, that's human capital management business, for SAP on a global basis. He reports to the SAP board. Sean joined the team with 20 years of experience. He's led some IPOs. He is successfully managed multiple acquisitions, and let me tell you a little bit about his background. Very interesting. Sean is a charter member of Silicon Valley's C100 organization supporting Canadian technology entrepreneurship. His own, I quote this, fierce will to win, unquote, has brought Sean notoriety for winning the 2005 Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona International Sports Car Race, vroom, being the America's top rider in the world-famous Paris-Dakar Rally. He completed 7,000 miles across the desert on a motorcycle. Do you hear that, Malcolm? And he's the 2002 class winner in the Baja 1000. I think we should have had you on a sports-themed show. How are you, Sean Price? I'm doing great today, Bonnie. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Where are you calling from? Are you, you're not on a motorcycle today, are you? No, not on a motorcycle today. Uh, no, I'm in Manhattan, downtown Manhattan today. Okay, so you're sharing the blue skies and the beautiful sunny weather I am here on Long Island, yes? Absolutely, and it's beautiful. Wonderful, it is. These are treasured, days to be treasured and remembered. We're already mid-November. Hope it's that nice next week for the holidays. Shh, don't say anything. I don't want to jinx it. And joining us today from Germany, I know that for a fact, is Tracy, Tracy Arnish, who was appointed Senior VP Talent at SAP in March of this year. She's responsible for SAP's end-to-end talent strategy, ensuring that SAP continues to live the philosophy that everyone is a talent. I love that, Tracy. And each individual is fully enabled to grow a meaningful career at SAP. I know I certainly am. With over 15 years of progressive HR experience, Tracy has worked in both the public and private sectors. She is a mentor and a coach to others, and she's passionate about supporting talent and helping others realize their full potential. Welcome back. How are you, Tracy Arnish? 
I'm fantastic. I wish I could say that it's sunny and beautiful here, but it's uh, dark and a bit cloudy now. So I'll just uh, live live in your uh, your great space. <laughs> you live in our space, Tracy. What time of day is it where you are, and where in Germany are you today? Well, I am in the lovely uh, Waldorf, Germany, which is uh, just outside of of uh, the beautiful city of Heidelberg uh, at our SAP headquarters, uh, and it is uh, ten after six in the evening. Okay, we're sorry to cut into your dinner time, but so glad you're here with us. I just want to do a shout-out again to Al Gini, who was supposed to be on the show. He's uh, having back surgery this morning. And just to tell you that Al is a professor of business ethics and chairman of the Department of Management in the Quinlan School of Business at Loyola University, Chicago. He's also the co-founder and longtime associate editor of the Business Ethics Quarterly. He's been the resident philosopher on National PR, NPR's Chicago affiliate WBEZ-FM, and he's a published author with lots Lots and lots of books, so shout out to Al. So let's get started. Rick Thompson, you're up first, Rising Medical. You have a wonderful quote here. You and I laughed when you told me what you were going to send me. This was a quote about what happened when the baby boomers, our generation, Rick, entered the workplace in the 70s. You said people were saying they're immature, they're lazy, they're entitled, they're self-centered, they're shallow. Okay, you know this for a fact, Rick Thompson. Talk to me. Good quote. Well, it seems to me that every generation has a makes a game out of uh, labeling, categorizing the generations that come after them. So that's no big surprise. The thing I want to point out is that we have a whole lot more in common with each other than differences. And I find this with the people I work with and with my own children. But at the same time, they're all very different. Um, my two kids are very different from each other. So it's a danger to paint the entire millennial generation with one broad brushstroke and say they're all like this, they're all like that. Because for every generalization, and generalizations can be helpful, but we've got to be careful that uh, we don't minimize those who don't fit the mold or who are the exceptions. Uh, so very, we very have to start good with point. them as individuals and then look at the generalities in addition to that. Good point. Labels can be dangerous. They're also helpful in aggregating people and understanding profiles and personas. But as you pointed out, Rick, so aptly, we know there are dangers to taking that approach. Uh, would you say that your kids are aware of what's being said about millennials? Are your kids in the workforce yet, Rick? Uh, they're both uh, entering the workforce uh, but having difficulty finding jobs. My son is still in grad school. My daughter graduated, but uh, she's working as a nanny and uh, doing some part-time work tutoring. So she's a typical millennial struggling with the economy. Uh, I've talked to both of them about this topic as well as some of the people on my staff, and they feel that some of what's been put out there about millennials is offensive, but a lot of it rings true. So uh, during this hour, we'll sort through the myths from the fact. Good. Thank you. Great perspectives. And we never expected to have a, a daddy of millennials on the show. I haven't asked my other guests if they are too, but great double perspective. So you're going to do double duty for us today, Rick. Thank you so much. Sean Price, let's turn to you. I love this. This is a great quote. Don't underestimate your impact. Don't overestimate your self-importance. Sean, would you say this is directed specifically at millennials or at any new cohort, as we call them, entering the workforce? I think it's any new cohort entering the workforce. And, in fact, I think that the workforce has, has already changed up from underneath us. This isn't something that's going to happen. It's, it's actually happened and accelerating. You know, if you look at today, 10,000 people turn 65 in the U.S. and will do so for the next 19 years. So you've got this huge experience gap leaving the workforce. And then you've got the millennials on the front end who will make up 50% of the workforce by 2015. There's just not enough of them. But leadership in that backdrop isn't the same anymore. You know, if you look at the what what 
is important today is different than the older models of leadership. It's not about hierarchy or command and control. It's about softer skills, enabling career path, coaching. It's about, um, and it's not even measured necessarily in the same way. I had a, an experience this summer with an intern um, that we just had a casual conversation on, and you know what? That turned up as a social blog on on leadership um, because information is shared anywhere, anytime, in any device. So I think yes. many people underestimate the impact of this shift and the change in their own personal style of leadership. I think the you know the overestimation of importance relates back to sort of the old way that we were measured, and and the you know it's not about individuals; it's about bringing teams together sharing information freely and it's not no longer about the person in charge who's the you know gets all the glory it's the team that actually mm -hmm. does the work behind it and i think that those that quote to me is something to keep in mind uh every day and and to our own culture and organization at sap i agree sean i when i find a quote like this from a guest i want to say i i plan to embroider it on a pillow or put it up on the side of a wall <laughs> a, a legal wall somewhere but i wanted to ask you do you think that going back to what rick said the fact that a, a cohort enters the workforce and especially for the millennials we are in the age of social media we are in the age of instantaneous guess what i heard i'm going to blog about it i'm going to put it on twitter i'm going to put it in facebook there's almost nothing private nothing sacred anymore but do you think because they're reading about the fact that they are powerful. They are a take-charge generation. They want things when they want it, but they're smart and they're willing to work for it, but you got to work with them. Do you think this is giving the millennials a little bit of arrogance? I'm asking that in a t from a totally naive standpoint, Sean. So what do you think? It, yeah, for the millennials... I yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think it's arrogance. I think it's access to information and how people use the information, right? Today we have a much, much higher level of transparency than we've ever seen mm -hmm. before. If you're about to join a company today, it's not about who you interview with. It's all of the information that's available on that company through sites like Glassdoor that will tell me what the culture is like, is, does the company live its values. Um, on the inverted side of that, if I'm looking at a candidate, it's about you know, looking at their social media profile. It's looking at um, peer references through LinkedIn potentially so that I can go to someone that I respect and know and get their opinion about the individual. And so I think it's this transparency of information, uh, mm -hmm. which is all of us are being held to that standard. I also think there's the responsibility of governance and good judgment that needs to be applied. It's, it's, there are certain things that in your personal life and, and social media constructs that would be applicable, but not in the context of, of a global corporation. So I think it's about judgment. I think it's about transparency. I think it's about access to information in new ways that, that we haven't contemplated quite candidly. Thank you very much, Sean. All good points, and we'll, we'll get back to transparency later in the show in terms of what you put out there stays out there and can be discovered. OMG. Let's turn to Tracy Arnish. Tracy, you quoted the good John Wooden, legendary basketball coach at UCLA. You know, their entire website's devoted to his quotes. He left quite a legacy, quite a history. So you pick this one. People want to believe you're sincerely interested in them as persons, not just what they can do for you, and this will bring productive results. Talk to me, Tracy. Why did you pick this quote, and how does this apply to our topic today of leading millennials in the workplace? Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I, you know, I think it's a quote that actually really excites me a lot, and similar to some of the comments that have already been made, I'm not certain that this as a, a leadership approach applies just to millennials, but I do believe that it's never been more important with the millennial generation. You know, we see in millennials today individuals who have had a, a significantly different upbringing 
um, exposure. Sean's just commented to the access to information and the difference that social media and technology is, is making. And this is bringing to the workplace uh, a very uh, an individual who does have a very diverse um, and, and varied background from talent that we've seen coming into organizations before. And really taking the time to understand where that millennial has come from, where they are today, and what is important to them, I think is critical if leaders are going to figure out how to be effective um, in, in getting the most out of this, this generation. I have an amazing uh, millennial talent who uh, is on my team today. And, you know, our relationship started off uh, as a mentoring relationship first before she joined the organization. And through that mentor mentoring relationship, I got to know a lot about her, what she values, wh- how she spends her time, not what's just important at work, but what's important uh, in, in the rest of her life and, and, and how she looks to achieve that. And that understanding has been so beneficial to me in terms of how I have uh, brought her into the organization and continue to grow her and, and set her up for success, really looking to engage her and, and develop her in the long term. So. I do believe that it's very important for leaders to start to take a more active understanding in what does truly motivate each individual and then customize their style to really ensure that they are getting the, they they will get the most of that person by respecting where they come from and what's important to them. Thank you, Tracy. And I know it's a two-way street. Let's just quickly, before we go to break, I just want to ask you to expand this a little bit. What if leadership and management is of a much older generation? There is a true generational gap between the person who's been in management for a while, and they see this very talented, very prospectively wonderful contributor in the form of a millennial crossing into their space. They hire the person. That generation gap, is that a problem, Tracy, that you've observed, where the older generation has to say, really? Really? Or they say, wow, let's reinvent our rules here. What do you think? Well, I, I think that uh, it, it depends, and I, I hate to give that as an answer. I've seen both scenarios. I've seen leaders who have adapted amazingly well, and whether they have millennials in their life who they've learned from and they bring that, that knowledge uh, and that ability to, to work effectively with that generation to the workplace, that's wonderful. Others see it as a new, a new leadership challenge for them, and they respond accordingly. But in all honesty, I have seen leaders who absolutely scratch their heads trying to understand how to really motivate this new workforce that they, um, that they have working with them now. It's, it's a very different approach. Thank you. That was the reality check I was going for, Tracy, because I, we want to talk about millennials and myth versus fact, but I think it's a, it's a double-sided topic. It's not just the millennials entering, but the leadership already in place and how will they respond to and work together. You use the word team. We've all used the word team. Team means both, so we have to understand that. You know what? It's time to take a break. We went a little long on this segment, but I didn't want to interrupt the great flow of quotes and interaction with me and the panel. I wanted everybody to hear our wonderful panelists, Rick Thompson from Rising Medical Solutions, Sean Price, Success Factors, and Tracy Arnish, SAP. Guess what? We're going to take a break. 57 seconds. Count them, kids. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. When we come back, we'll talk about what millennials really want, what they're willing to put up with, what they bring to the workplace, what's unique and special, and what are leaders willing to give, and what do they need to take. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that app, that dial, that mouse, that phone. Brad, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers. Presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Are, and uh, it's time for me to ask my esteemed panel what's in your cup today because, as you all know, HR Trends with Game Changers is part of our, our long-time ongoing flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So I have to ask you the burning question. I hope it's not burning coffee. Rick Thompson from Rising Medical Solutions, what are you drinking today or what do you wish you were drinking, Rick? Well, actually, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I have a large plastic shaker cup uh, full of protein powder. Uh, in my gym bag because I work out at noon. So as soon as this show is over, I'm heading to the gym to drink my protein shake. And I also have a scoop of something called Essential 7 in there, which I get from my sister, and it's got seven essential vitamins and minerals that are missing from most people's diets. So that's what's in my cup. I haven't drunk it yet, but I will soon after the show. And what do you do with the powder? How do you make it into a drink, Rick? Is there a magic potion, magic formula? You hold a magic wand and you go poof and it turns into a drink? What happens? Uh, add cold water and shake. That's what I wanted to hear. Thank you very, very much. Very elaborate. <laughs> I'm very literal on the show. Thank you very much. Mr. Sean Price, uh, who travels, has traveled 7,000 miles across the desert in a motorcycle. I, I want to know what you were drinking that day. But, Sean, what are you drinking today, or, or what brings back good memories of a coffee break? Sean? Absolutely. I would, I'll, I'll share with you what I drank after that race another yes. time. But what I'm drinking today is... Uh, a kale uh, green machine that my wife and uh, kids and I drink every day. And it's uh, it's funny when you ask, you know, when we think about this question, it's about keeping for- forefront in your mind the balance of work life and home and that this is a marathon, not a sprint. We live in this world that's highly connected um, and integrated. I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you that I check email when I first wake up in the morning, as many of us do. And it's a global business uh, running 24-7 around the clock, and change takes energy. So, that's uh, that's what I'm drinking, and uh, it's both metaphorical and uh, also what I drink in the morning. Very nice. And I want to know, what does kale taste like in a drink? I, I've well, had kale. I've had it as part of a dinner menu, but what does it taste like as a drink, Sean? I don't recommend it on its own. Certain people are, are like it on their own. I like it with apple juice or orange juice to give it a bit of sweetness, and uh, I find that I can uh, have a good shot of it, and that's not too bad. That's not my invention, by the way. That's my wife's. 
Okay, well, tell her congratulations. It sounds palatable. I use that word with with great measure. Okay, Tracy Arnish, what are you drinking today? All the way over in Waldorf, Germany. What's in your cup, or what do you wish you were drinking, Tracy? Uh, well, because it's now uh, six twenty-five in the evening, Bonnie, my coffee cup is long empty because uh, too much coffee right now, and my jet lag will will really not help my sleep situation. But uh, it's been a, it's been a day of of uh, trying to enjoy everything possibly. German. So I think one of the most fantastic things about being part of a global organization like SAP is the opportunity to go in and immerse yourself in some of these very different cultures. So, uh, you know, eating whatever German specialty, if it's schnitzel or currywurst or what have you in the canteen and uh, enjoying the uh, sparkling water and sparkling apple juice and things of that nature. Sounds terrific. And I have a couple of tweets here. Tom Flanagan, who is co-producer of this HR Trends series. And uh, Tom, we're losing you soon. I know you're going off to to different pastures. Uh, It's been great working with you and you've been a wonderful support for this series. But Tom says he's always, as always, I'm powering up my morning with bulletproof execs, bulletproof coffee. I still don't know what that is, but I'm sure it has a lot of caffeine and I know you need it to keep up with your pace. Thank you, Tom. And Malcolm Kimberlin, my overall SAP radio co-producer says oh great he says he just got his delivery of phil's coffee and malcolm is loving his cup of love there you go and i know that ashley is on the line listening from the safety of the phone line ashley if you want to tweet to hashtag sap radio we'd love to find out what you are drinking today you can be an honorary coffee what's in your cup person on us on the show today so let's get going with the round table i know al genie is not here but he had a wonderful quote i'd like to pose this to the panel and get your take on it before we dive into the rest of all the wonderful talking points that Rick and Sean and Tracy sent me. So here's the quote. Previous generations were fine working in cubicles, having a strict dress code. I don't know what era that was, but I I can sort of remember it. And towing the company line. Millennials, on the other hand, want fun workplaces. They want to be comfortable. And millennials will not settle for, quote, this is the way things are always done. So leaders must be open to this new approach. I'm going to open it up to the panel. Rick, Sean, Tracy, who wants to take this first? Anybody jump in? I'll go ahead first. This is Rick. Please, uh, Rick. I think Al is really onto something, and I have to chuckle because when I started at Rising eight years ago, we had a very strict dress code. Uh, we forbid our employees from having their cell phones on their desks at work. Uh, we did not want them texting during work and checking the internet or going on Facebook. And now we've, because so many millennials have entered the workforce, 50% of our employees are millennials. Uh, they've been pushing back on some of these things and challenging us. Uh, we now encourage employees to, you know, have proper use of the uh, of Facebook and tools like that, Twitter. Uh, we have a much more relaxed dress code, and mm-hmm. they've been challenging us to get more fun. And our CEO is very forward-thinking. He's a Gen Xer, and uh, I think they've made a great case to him as to why we should bring more of the fun elements into our culture and into our workplace. Rick, how relaxed is the dress code? Give us a reality check here. Well, I'm going to bust us out here. We are are jeans casual, but we charge our employees for jeans, and we give the money to Children's Memorial Hospital, or it's now here in Chicago. And uh, so we use it as a fundraiser in order to be casual. Wow, that's that's progressive thinking. Sean Price, weigh in on this. What's your thought? Your experience with millennials, fun and casual. Talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the old world of of the company manual and and 
hierarchical mm-hmm. offices are gone. If you take uh, SAP in, in the majority of our locations, we've dispensed with offices. Everybody's in the cube, and it's it's quite uh, fun to actually move around and move your seating and get to know a lot of different people. And it's really fostering an, an open culture and collaboration. I think you know today it's it's less about the money and it's more about the mission and the collective vision and mm-hmm. I think that uh, we, we really have changed it's this is uh, I, I live in Silicon Valley um, and I don't I can't remember a company that I've been in recently that doesn't have a relaxed dress code um, doesn't have a relaxed location to work from unless maybe you're Yahoo that brought all their engineers back but that's an anomaly in my view um, people are trusted today to, to work and deliver and, and measured in different ways and and an open uh, transparent culture um, and their workspaces reflect that. I was on a on a uh, interview recently and couldn't get to the office and so we did it via Skype and in the, in my car and so it doesn't really matter where you are uh, it's it's access and I think that change is is really moved very very quickly uh, in, in a very short period of time. Sean, are millennials driving this, or are they just part of a wave that started perhaps with Gen X before Gen Y came on the scene? What do you? What's your observation? I, I think if you don't um, contemplate the new realities of work, um, the millennials will vote for you with their feet. That you know, if you if you aren't an open culture, if you are hierarchical, if you are old school, um, if you haven't adjusted, not only are you going to have difficulty attracting um, those those individuals, but you're going to have a really hard time retaining them. Um, you know, there's this funny thing. Millennials, the average tenure in a workforce is, is less than two years. And there's this inflection mm. point at six months where they step back and they say, you know, is this company actually looking out for me? Do I feel valued? Is my voice heard? Do, you know, this blending of work-life balance, yes. is, is this an area and a company that I want to work in and that the people that I work with, I want a, a relationship with? And those happen. And the companies that don't get it, you can see them at the bottom of, of the performance charts uh, where they'll continue to lag because they just will not have access to that level of talent, um, which is what's revolutionizing much of the operating models and businesses of, of today. Thank you, Sean. Great observations. Tracy, what do you think? Dress codes and offices and strict company guidelines in the company manual, what are you observing today with your millennial experience? Yeah, I would certainly build on the comments both made by, by Rick and Sean. I, I think, interestingly, Sean's commented on the, the desire for collaboration and, and the flexibility. If you, we take something as basic as how we are looking at future office design, everything is being made to create a space that works for that individual or that team, and it's flexible. Uh, it allows them to innovate in a way that works for them, moving a furniture, casual environment, ability to be up and on, on their feet. It's very, very different from the cubicle setting of, of the past. I think the other thing that strikes me that's that's really important, and Sean has just alluded to this, is that organizations spend today, in my opinion, a lot of time thinking about how to bring millennials into the organization, but are we spending the equal amount of thought understanding what it means once they're in? So how do you get the millennial past that six-month inflection point to really ensure that you are able to to keep them and increase their contributions for much longer than, than two years? It's a challenge that we're facing all the time. And if you don't have the end-to-end offerings for those individuals, we won't keep them. They will, they will be out the door. So it's so important that we're evolving everything from you know, our flexible work practices, allowing people to get the work done when and where and how it, it suits them, making sure the environment does speak to them and it helps each individual find their purpose in the organization. Because I believe if you can connect them to their purpose, whatever that purpose is, you have the best chance of, of keeping them in, in the longer term. 
Thank you, Tracy. I have a quick anecdote to share with my panel. This goes back to, I'm trying to remember when, the late 90s, I was working as a marketing communications manager for Chase Manhattan Bank when it was just called Chase Manhattan Bank. We were downtown Manhattan. Uh, Sean, we were at, uh, I don't know where we were. We were somewhere. But uh, it was, oh, yes, we were near near the World Trade Center. This is way pre-9-11. I'm really dating myself. Rick can understand that. And uh, one day, I, I used to be the first one on the floor. I'd take the 6.30 train from Great Neck, get to the office around 7.25, beat everybody there. It was just my, my habit. And I like to wear clothes that made me happy. So I wore heels, stockings. Uh, Tracy, you can understand this. Uh, either a business suit or a skirt and a sports jacket and beautiful jewelry and good makeup. And I, w- I felt very professional. One day... I took a silk scarf and I wrapped it around my head and left a bow on the side to go with whatever my outfit was. Well, I hope you're all sitting down. About a week later, I was taken behind one of the cubicles by a manager and told that my dress did not fit the image of the way Chase wanted me to appear in the office. There were no customers. There were no vendors there. It was an office of very busy professionals. And I was told that my dress style was unacceptable and that I had to take a class in dressing for success. I had to talk to HR. I'm not kidding you. I had to talk to HR, and I had to be reprimanded because I put the scarf in my hair. Tracy, I want you to react to that. Well, Bonnie, I'm laughing because I've seen everything from people in what could be construed as being their pajamas to flip-flops to, um, you know, the most exclusive uh, Wall Street suit. So I think what's important is that you create an environment that allows that individual to be comfortable and to be showing up in a way that is going to inspire them because, to your point, you know, you were going in in a way that you thought was going to allow you to be at your best that day. And it's, from my perspective, so critical that we create that flexibility for people to, you know, be able to alter and vary it and, and what, be in an environment that's going to work for them. Absolutely. Bonnie, I was t- I've got yes, a comment go ahead. Um, Please. You, know, you imagine in today's open and transparent environment what would have happened if that had happened today? Oh. It would oh. have been on all of the social media. It would have been oh. this, you know, uh, constrained uh, old school organization, and um, that would have an, a, a direct impact in, the, in that organization's ability to hire, and it would be reflected. And it would be this is that back to the, the original quote of don't don't underestimate the uh, impact that that one area uh, would would be all over the web, and people would have access to it, and that would you know give people transparency in the hiring decisions. It's funny to think about that, but that, that's, I think that's what would have happened. That's true. It might have hey, gone, Bonnie, might I'd have like absolutely. Yeah, Rick, please, well. Rick. Rick, you're of that era. You know. Talk to me. Well, I do want to say that even so, with all this, there are some rules that you still have to get across. There are some, one of our offices did a very creative thing where they have a what not to wear fashion show. And it just got the idea across in a very humorous way that in terms of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate for office wear. So where it's not in a handbook saying don't wear this, don't wear this, it can be done in a very humorous way. Uh, to I get like the that. Across. 
I like that. By the way, I was told that I had to be preppy, otherwise I would not be accepted. Okay, uh, here we go. I want to cite something. Tracy, you sent me a wonderful list, a chart actually, of a perceived millennial trait. Since our show is called Leading the Millennial Generation, Fact versus Myth, I want to deal with some of these. I'm going to have the whole panel jump in. I'll pick one or two. A perceived millennial trait, then the corresponding millennial value, and the leadership competency. So, Tracy, I'm going to start with you. You said, let's see now. Here we go. Uh, that a perceived millennial trait is that they're entitled. And I think Rick cited this even for uh, for, for the, the baby boomers way back in the 70s. So the perceived millennial trait is they think they're entitled. The millennial value actually is reward, and the leadership competency is incenting. Tracy, tell us the progression from one to the other, and then I'm, I'm going to read one more and have, uh, have uh, Sean and uh, – Rick, chime in. Go ahead. Sure. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. And I think for any leader today, Bonnie, this is, it's very, very critical to understand the perception versus the reality. And that's why my opening comments about getting to really know, understand the person and what motivates them and where they come from is, is really, really critical. And when you look at the, the idea of millennials being entitled, there, there is a bit of that perception today that they've come from a, um, come from a generation where parents have really helped to pave the way, have held their hands uh, and created the situation where they feel like they should be uh, entitled to the, that, that, that comes. But what we know about millennials is that they really do just want to be rewarded, as does any, any individual. The types of rewards that they may be looking for could vary, but at the end of the day, they are looking for the confirmation and the recognition of the contributions that they're, they're making. From a leadership perspective, I, I think we run the risk of leaders that don't understand this, um, as them discounting these, this millennial gen- generation who they see being entitled, those being um, people that haven't yet come from the school of hard knocks, maybe like, like they have, and really what they need to appreciate is then how do you take that, that desire for contribution and reward and really motivate them in a way that's going to really foster that and turn it into um, a positive outcome for that that individual. And so for the leader, it means flexing their style and figuring out how do you incent them? What does matter to them? And then how do you how do you put that in front of them as a means to take them take them forward? Thank you. And I'm going to read one more comparison across this triple chart. Tracy, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for including this. I'm going to ask uh, Sean and, and Rick to jump in here. She says that our perceived millennial trait is they're unfocused. But in fact, the millennial value is that they are multitasking. I know there's a debate today about whether that even exists, but they're multitasking. And the leadership competency to deal with this would be directing them. Sean, Rick, who wants to comment on this? What have you observed in your millennials? I'll go ahead, uh, and I'm one of those people that would question whether multitasking is a true value. Uh, there's a great book called The Myth of Multitasking by Dave Crenshaw, and he says that what people actually do, and this is supported by the research, is they switch tasks, and millennials are pretty good at switching between tasks very quickly, like a computer. Um, but I can tell when I'm talking to my son on the phone if he's playing his video games at the same time because he <laughs> tends to be a little bit unfocused on what we're talking about. So I think one of the challenges with millennials is when they are thinking that they're multitasking is we have to help them stay focused on what's most important, what's going to move the needle on that day, that week. Uh, and so we can use the word directing, which is interesting because that's kind of an old school word, but that is exactly what's needed. Uh, they need to be directed, their attention directed and focused on the task. And so I think this is something that um, 
some of us who aren't quite as good with switch tasking or multitasking can help millennials do is to stay focused and to develop the skills and the competencies in order to really focus on what's most important. Great. It's Sean, you know what, Sean, I want to give you a different one because sure. I want to cover a few more, if that's okay with you. This is not a pop quiz, but I think this was all in the meeting invite, so you saw this. So the perceived millennial trait is self-absorbed. I think this is a really important one. When I asked you before, Sean, about whether there was an arrogance of millennials, I didn't mean that in a bad way. I meant that they're coming and I'm saying, wow, look at all the press about us. We're powerful. We're multitaskers. We know social. And maybe they come in with a little bit of attitude about how special they are. So the perceived millennial trait is self-absorbed. The Millennial value is attention, and the leadership competency is engaging. Can you decipher this for us? What do you yeah. think? Are they really self-absorbed, Sean? Well, I can try, certainly. The, the, I think there's danger in these sort of one-size-fits-all um, around a particular mm-hmm. uh, demographic. And I think, you know, if you look at talent today, it doesn't look like the talent that we hired before. Um, I would argue that, that, you know, in order to work with, any segment of the organization, whether it's uh, expert workers who are, who are or millennials, we have to think differently. And how we engage with them, how, how we find them, uh, you know, one area that's been working um, for me personally in, in the recruitment of many of these millennials is that the old-style hierarchical interview doesn't, doesn't particularly work well. It doesn't uncover what they're exceptional at or what, what, what their competencies are or what drives them. And so I've been doing a lot of uh, interviewing by text, SMS, because all of these individuals that you're interviewing for senior roles are, are exceptional at presenting themselves. So how do you get to the next level to really understand the talent that you're looking at? And for me, it's using SMS, which is, is just a stream of consciousness, more conversational than it is uh, anything else. And I think the, the uh, way to ensure that you get the best out of any uh, segment of your workforce is really clear vision clear performance metrics and alignment and measurement. And I don't think that that's a millennial trait. I don't think it's arrogance. I just think it's the new world. And um, it's far more collaborative and different than we thought. And, and I think organizations that don't understand the, the, the dynamic of the, what talent looks like has changed is going to have mm-hmm. a hard time directing the talent that they're acquiring in many different areas. Sean, I want to expand that for you and for the whole panel. Uh, you know, it, it can't be, as we said, one size fits all, but we do have workforces, although, Rick, you mentioned that yours is a millennial-intensive team. We do have workforces, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that have multi-generations. So when the shift in culture happens, because you want to – you want to recruit, you, you want to attract, you want to recruit, you want to hire, and you want to retain the wonderful value of this new millennial generation in your workforce. What happens to the long-term worker who says things are fine the way they are? I don't know about that. Is there, is there a, a differentiation that happens where an older worker, and I don't mean older age-wise, I mean a longer term, I've been here a long time, regardless of their age, they say, hey, how come everything is changing because of them? Do you see any of that disparity? Uh, let's start with you, Sean, because you were the last to talk. Any yeah, observation? I, yeah, I, I don't see disparity or, uh, between those orgs. What, what I see is a new way of working. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of talk about the need for millennials to have you know, clear goals and guidance and career path and to feel that they're engaged. But I think the smart workers in any change environment get bi-directional mentorship. So you may have a, a seasoned worker who's there partnering with a millennial and they're both ah. benefiting from bi-directional mentorship. Um, and because of the talent shortage, 
it's no longer enough to set an operating goal and then say, okay, now we need to turn on a dime and hire or open this engineering location. It's about creating an engagement of the types of talent that you're looking for in these warm talent pools before you need them. Um, with the rate and change in globalization, you just can't keep up if you're not contemplating that. And so it's a balancing act across the entire organization to meter what skills you have, how you mentor uh, organizations, and 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 and, and, and instantiate your culture um, and move very quickly and share what's working in, in, a, in an environment that's changing rapidly. Thank you, Sean. Rick, you're, you're talking about a millennial intensive team. Do you have a, an age variety in your team as well, or is it just oh, focused absolutely. on the Oh, absolutely. We young- have uh, boomers, we have Gen X, and we have millennials on our team. And there is some resistance, but I don't know if it, does, mm-hmm. if it comes down to generational differences so much as those who have been here longer may feel like they've earned their stripes. Uh, yes. You know, they, they did the menial work that was required to get to where they're at. And there is a certain sense of the younger workers, many of them, the newer workers, that, you know, they want it sooner and aren't willing to put in the time necessary. You know, and what Sean shared earlier, if we're millennials only staying an average of two years, I think boomers stay something like an average of seven years at companies. So some of the uh, more seasoned members of the workforce might be willing to stick around a little bit longer, feel like they have earned their stripes. Um, and so there might be some tension and conflict around those things, but to me that comes down to entitlement, and it's entitlement going both ways. And yes. that entitlement is not really acceptable, and we do all that we can uh, to make sure that the focus is always on the results. And if a millennial is coming in and getting results sooner than someone else might be using status quo methods, then we need to be paying attention to those results and uh, and have an openness. Uh, our first core value is achieve as a team. So we have an open culture where we're learning from each other and playing off of each other's strengths. And so we've got to keep the focus on that rather than, hey, this person hasn't been here as long as I have. How come mm-hmm. you know, they got to do X, Y, or Z when I didn't get to do that? That's the wrong focus. Great point. That's what I was going for, was the the entitlement on the other side. I've been here longer, so why is it changing? Thank you. Tracy, we have just about uh, four minutes before we have to take a break before, so I can give you all a, a chance to run out to the garage or the car or the attic or wherever to get the crystal ball because I know you've all got one somewhere, and you're going to polish it off for our prediction segment. But, Tracy, I want to cover one more of these traits, and this is an interesting one to me. You say the perceived millennial trait is abrasiveness. I'd like to address that. The millennial value, in fact is informality, that's a stretch, and the leadership competency is self-differentiating. Can you talk us through this, please, Tracy Arnish? Yeah, I can, certainly happy to. And, you know, I think one of the, the things that we have, I've noticed certainly with millennials is that they do come with a more familiar and uh, informal nature than potentially what I've experienced from previous talent that have either been part of my team or I've worked with. And it is an adjustment as to how quickly they seem to be comfortable, the risks that they will take to share ideas and uh, and communicate, which from my perspective is um, it, it's a great thing. It's allowing us to think differently and it's challenging us in a in a very different way. But what I also do find, and this comes back to you know my earlier comments around contribution, millennials want to be doing something and contributing to something that they do believe in and they want to be differentiating themselves in such a way as to have those those opportunities. And that's the part that I believe is the most important. And if I reflect on the, the comments that have just been made around, is there a, um, is there maybe some um, animosity between the generations within the, the workplace? We're not 
seeing that. But I, what I think organizations need to be careful of is that there's a lot of hype and energy being made around millennials today that in some instances can create a, a feeling of other generations like they're not valued and their contributions are no longer important to the organization. And that's where I think the tension is coming from. And the real mm-hmm. key here is how do you create an environment that allows each talent to be differentiated and to be feeling like their contributions matter. And and really the, the true test for me is, and with the older generations in particular, the boomers, I believe that they are one of the most critical resources to these millennials and to this early talent as they come in uh, and really acquire the knowledge and the experience that is held by these um, these workers that have been in place for a long time and own this intellectual property. So one of the opportunities for the organization is to, I believe it was the comments that, that Sean made, how do you really find that, that value, shared value proposition where each each benefit the other? And that, I think, is the key to, to really getting the most out of this multi-generational workforce. Thank you, Tracy. We're just about at break, but I'm going to give you 30 seconds to respond, something we need to cover quickly. Does this come from the top, this change management, this awareness management that we do have a lot of people playing in a sandbox here. We do want to focus on results as Rick said so astutely. We do want to have a workplace where everybody's talents are brought to the fore and everybody is enabled to produce and contribute and share in success. Does this come from the C-suite? Does it come from middle HR management? Who has the vision to say we need to change and address all of these aspects of our workforce? Tracy, quickly please. Oh, it's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I'd like to say it comes from the top, but that you can't base your culture on that um, that reality, particularly because I believe you want a culture that reflects your end-to-end workforce, which is just not your C-suite. So it's really critical that I believe your leaders, your how you're acquiring the type of talent you're bringing in, along with your executives, supported by HR, really are creating the environment to to realize this new um, this new situation. Thank you, Tracy. You know what? A little birdie tells me that sometime in early 2014, we may renew this HR Trends series. And if we do, I think that would make a great topic. So I'll I'll put in a word to invite this panel back because I think we have a lot more to say. Guess what? Time for our final break. Yes, we only took two breaks because I didn't want to interrupt all of these wonderful thought leaders on our panel today. So we're going to give Rick Thompson, Sean Price, and Tracy Arnish a chance to go find the crystal ball, polish it off. I don't care whether you use the chamois, the banky, or the silk scarf. Ha! <laughs> My silk scarf is available, by the way. Chase didn't want it. And let's come back in one minute and talk about your predictions. If we had this conversation one year from, I'm sorry, five years from today, or one year if that's what your crystal ball shows, what would we be saying about millennials in the workplace? Fact versus myth. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is HR Trends with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Here we are. Okay, let's talk about what can you see in your crystal ball? Rick Thompson from Rising Medical Solutions. Blue skies, cloudy skies for millennials. Five years from today, guess what, Rick? They'll be five years older. What do you think is going to be happening with them and the workplace? Two minutes. Well, talk to me. Actually, my crystal ball is going out about eight to ten years because that's when we're going to start seeing the generation behind millennials starting to enter the workforce. And I'm predicting that we'll be having the same type of discussion about that next to be named generation. This is right about the time I'm going to be contemplating retirement, so I may not care quite <laughs> as much about it. But um, some terms that are being bantied about are the homeland generation, digital natives, uh, generation Z, which I hate, sounds like zombies, um, the I generation, <laughs> but plurals, because they're going to be a very pluralistic generation. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, last week I was stuck on a five hour flight from Chicago to LAX, and I was in the middle seat, and next to me was a young millennial mother and her uh, maybe year-and-a-half-old, two-year-old daughter on her lap, and I thought this mm-hmm. is going to be a very long flight. And I was amazed to watch this child playing with a tablet computer and with her mom's smartphone and navigating menus and screens, and I just sat there in awe. Was like, what is this new generation going to be like, you know, when they're entering the workforce and have so much more technical technology savvy than even their parents have. Uh, and I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. So I'm predicting that we'll be having similar discussions about the next generation in eight to ten years. Thank you very much. This calls to mind very quickly. I, I do a cable television show here on Long Island, and last week I had the principal of the Harlem Renaissance High School, which went from being a get rid of the school, it's a complete failure, to he turned it to a, a grade A high school that's sought after for transfer students in New York. Quite a success story. And by the way, he was a, a high-tech guy who had his own business and, and was sought after in the software world. But he brought his three-year-old daughter to the show, and I said under my breath, OMG, what are we going to do with her during the live show? Well, guess what, Rick? He gave her his smartphone, put her on a chair. This adorable little adopted girl, he he made a point of telling us that, played with some games on his iPhone for the entire 30 minutes during the show and never made a peep. I was completely in awe that this was able to happen. And she was not disruptive. She was welcome to walk on the set, but it still happened that she was completely immersed and and lovely. And wow, what a a change. So it's coming. It's coming. Sean Price, time for you, crystal ball. How far can you go, Sean? One year, three years, five? What do you see? I look look out five years, and I think that uh, the future is incredibly bright. If you think about all of the changes that this generation has absorbed and how different they work and what's valued and the work-life balance that they come into it and this notion of experience, I think that we're going to see a seasoning over the next three to five years. And that seasoning will be happening much, much faster than we've ever seen before. And it's going to happen faster because of necessity. With 10,000 workers leaving every day, 
that experience gap or tribal knowledge is going out of the back of the org, which means that the acceleration of this generation and what they're responsible for and how they drive is, is going to be faster than any generation before us. So I'm incredibly optimistic. I think the way they use technology holds great uh, opportunity for us as well. We're getting to a stage where it's not about the, the lack of data. It's about creating predictive uh, viewpoints. And in this always connected hyper data environment, um, this generation will be able to see the future, I think, probably and reasonably better than any, any generation before it. So I'm incredibly uh, hopeful, optimistic, and I think the future is incredibly bright for uh, the millennial generation. Thank you. We love optimism. And last but not least, of course, Tracy Arnish calling in from Waldorf today. Tracy, crystal ball, how far out, blue skies or cloudy? What do you see? Well, I'll, how about I'll venture to go one one to two? I, I, I do agree with with the comments that Sean's just made. I, I think it's I think it's blue sky. My sense is we have not, we don't even begin to be able to understand today what this generation I think is going to do for uh, organizations in a very positive way. The we are changing out of necessity, absolutely, and the value that that's going to bring in terms of how we think about innovation, how we use technology, and the contributions that this group will make to the workforce in a very expedited fashion, I believe, sets sets us up for things that we can't even yet see. So I believe it's a very exciting change that's being brought upon the workforce. And the challenge to the organizations now is how do we adapt and make sure we leverage that opportunity as quickly as possible. Thank you, Tracy. Guess what? You're all so kind. You left me exactly one minute to close the show, and that's all I need because I can speed read. Next Tuesday here on HR Trends with Game Changers, 12 noon Pacific. I'm sorry, 12 noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. I'm getting jumbled up here. November 26, two days before Thanksgiving, or as some people are calling it Thanksgivinga this year. Go figure that one. Talent trends, career development, very important topic. Tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers, Wednesday, 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern, we're talking about banking fraud. Can technology outsmart the bad guys. What a panel I have for you. Part two, continuing the topic from July 10th. And Thursday on Startup Focus with Game Changers, we're going to talk about startups and government, local, regional, and national. Can they learn to get along? The unique challenges of dealing with bureaucracy and selling to the government. Special shout-outs today. Thank you to my wonderful panelists, Rick Thompson, Al Ginny in absentia. I hope the surgery went well and hope your discs are back in the right place. Sean Price, wonderful. I hope you have some great motorcycle races is ahead of you. Tracy Arnish, everything wonderful, terrific to have you back on the show. And my shout-outs to Liz Brenner, Tom Flanagan, Malcolm Kimberlin, Ashley Colombo on the phone. Glad you were joining us, and I heard that Anka Rebel was listening to the show today. Shout-out to Anka. And Brad and the Business Channel team, thank you. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game-changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. See you tomorrow on Coffee Break. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.